on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bless this offering and bless us, your people, to be your blessing and your light to this world. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. And praise Father, Son, privileged to have John Yates with us today to bring our message. John has been a pastor and 38 years ago, the same year I uh, came to pastor this church, John went to Messiah College to become a professor there. So we're both old enough to have changed Rodney's diapers. So uh, the um, uh, Philip. Anyway, uh, John uh, has taught uh, decades at Messiah College. He was in charge of the religion department. He's done many things there. But what I, one of the things I'll remember uh, about him was that uh, six years ago, uh, Grantham Church really needed him to come and be the pastor of that church at that time. It was a church in need of healing. And frankly, I think he was the only person that could have gone there and helped bring that healing John wanted to stay at Messiah, but because he loves the Lord and because he loves the church, he heard the call of the church and went there uh, and pastored that church. And uh, praise the Lord for that. The other thing I want to say about John is that he was a uh, member here for, and attended here for 10 years. And he and Amy were deacons. Uh, John was on the board. Uh, they taught uh, Sunday school classes and other classes. They were wonderful uh, while they were here, and then they left to go uh, pastor at, at Grantham. So we are, uh, he knows us, and we are so privileged to have him. And the other thing I just want to say is that John is a mentor to many younger pastors, and um, he is my friend, and it is so good to have you here, John. thought I fixed that. Okay. <laughs> good morning. It is good to be here. It is really good to be here. I feel in many ways like I'm home this morning. I see so many of you that I know. God's blessing upon you, and uh, uh, it's good to be back. It's really good to be back, um, and I am honored. I am very honored to be able to preach at this time between, in this transition that's happening at this congregation. Uh, I see that as an honor, and thank you. I would also like to uh, thank um, Pastor Linda. She, uh, some of the slides and the content of what I'm going to say was provided by her. I'd like to thank her for that. And um, our scripture lesson for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I might mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Let's pray together. Guide us, Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light. In your truth, find freedom. And in your will, discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Harrisburg Church began more than 120 years ago when small groups met in locations across the city. The Armory Building at 2nd and North Streets, the Friend of the Homeless, the Home of the Friendless, I'm sorry, the Home of the Friendless, the Hoffmanites Church in Oberlin, and Chambers Hill. The early brethren also held open-air meetings on Saturday evenings outside the courthouse at 7th and South 10th Streets and Sunday afternoons on the Capitol grounds with the blessing of the state officials. Finally, worship began at 1175 Bailey Street on the brow of Allison Hill. That original building on Bailey Street was raised and a new building was constructed and dedicated as Messiah Refuge, I'm sorry, Messiah Rescue and Benevolent Home, as well as a house of worship for the Brethren in Christ. In October of 1897, the Board of Managers of the Home granted the Brethren in Christ Church a 99-year privilege to conduct worship at the home. From the beginning, the Brethren in Christ in Harrisburg supported Bible study, congregational worship, and a healthy Sunday school. Sunday school enrollment in 1912 was 191, the second largest Brethren in Christ Sunday school in the state of Pennsylvania. And the average attendance, 145. 
Although worship and Sunday school were central from the earliest of times, compassion for the poor, the homeless, and the aged led the brethren to found a rescue mission, a benevolent home, and an orphanage. In 1909, a school began on Bailey Street that a year later would relocate, relocate to S.R. Smith's Noodle Factory in Grantham to later become Messiah College. The orphanage was also relocated to Grantham, right across the yellow breaches from Messiah College, and later changed again to Mount Joy. The building on Bailey Street then became a rescue mission called Lighthouse Chapel, or more commonly just known as the mission. Our own Paul and Ethel Bingham served at this mission, which provided both physical and spiritual nurture. In 1923, Charles and Rachel Hensel and their 10 children began attending services at the mission, traveling three days a week by horse and buggy. Why do I mention that family? Charles and Rachel are my wife Amy's grandparents and Helena's great-grandparents. Their sons, David and John Hensel, attended Messiah Home Chapel, and their son, Glenn, was the first paid pastor there. In 1936, the church and the home moved to Paxton Street, where Paxton Ministries is today. In 1978, Messiah Home expanded to Messiah Village, while Paxton Ministries continued at the same location to this day. These four ministries, Messiah Lighthouse Chapel, Messiah Village, Messiah Orphanage, and Messiah College, all began just a short distance from here on Bailey Street. Maybe for consistency, H. Bick should have been named Messiah Brethren in Christ Church. Many pastors served our congregation. The early ministers included J.B. Burkholder, Simon Schumberger, Samuel Brem, John Dick, and S.R. Smith, the founder and first president of Messiah College. In 1952, the congregation commissioned Glenn Hensel to devote a day a week to the pastoral ministry at Messiah Home Chapel, one of the first paid Brethren in Christ ministers. Pastor Hensel challenged the congregation to do community outreach, and that effort was particularly fruitful among children and young people. In 1962, Messiah Lighthouse Chapel constructed a new facility at 2001 Chestnut Street, and the Bellevue Park Brethren in Christ Church was born. And on January the 1st, 1977, the Bellevue Park Church merged with Messiah Home Chapel to form the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. In 2005, the congregation moved to this current location on Derry Street. So, our congregation began as Messiah Lighthouse Chapel under the ministry of John Minter. The mission, as it was known in those years, was part of the urban mission movement of the Brethren in Christ Church that began with Sarah Burt, 
who served for 50 years in Chicago. Her ministry was the forerunner of Brethren in Christ missions in Philadelphia, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dayton, and later New York, Toronto, and Miami. My wife, Amy, grew up in the Lancaster Mission on Caroline Street. And I am a product of Beulah Chapel, an urban mission in Springfield, Ohio. And we attended, as Woody said, for 10 years here at HBIC. The present incarnation of the mission on Bailey Street. While Sarah Burt was in Chicago, two little boys, Joel Carlson and his brother, were nurtured by that mission. Later, Joel and his wife Faith served from 1940 to 1966 as the pastoral couple of Messiah Lighthouse Chapel, which became the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. Thus, our congregation is part of that urban mission movement across America. Following the Carlsons, Lane Hostetter was the interim pastor, and John Stoner then served until 1975. Frank Dutcher was here briefly, and Gene Burns pastored the mission until the merger and was then the first pastor of the newly formed, newly configurated Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. In 1980, the church called Pastor Woody Dalton, and he and Kim have been with us ever since. It would be impossible to mention all of the lay leadership of HBIC, but perhaps two people represent all the others that attended here. Jane Mon attended Messiah Lighthouse Chapel as a student nurse from 1950 to 1954. I'll stop long enough for you to do the math to figure out how old she is. Then, in 1969, Jane, along with Betty Oldham, came to work at Messiah Home, where they also attended the chapel. In 1971, they began attending Bellevue Park, Brethren in Christ Church. They may be the only living ones who attended all incarnations of HBIC. Well, now... The Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church is in transition. And yet, HBIC is in a better position than most congregations are that are in that situation. We have known for some time when Pastor Woody resigns that Pastor Hank will lead us into the future. Nevertheless, this is a time of uncertainty, but also a time of anticipation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Glad you're here. Um, God will lead H. Bick into the future that he has for us. Thank you for the amens. The Corinthian church to whom Paul writes our scripture lesson faced a similar situation to ours. And for them, the situation was not going nearly as well as it is for us. The apostle Paul had founded a small but strong church in Corinth. He was their first pastor. After a while, however, it was necessary for Paul to move to new areas of missionary activity. He was always restless to get to the next place to share the gospel, to Rome and then maybe to Spain. After Paul left Corinth, Apollos came. He preached the same gospel that Paul preached. He differed from Paul only in his manner and his ability. Nevertheless, the coming of Apollos 
caused dissensions in the church at Corinth. There were those who said, I'm of Paul. Others who said, I'm of Apollos. Still others said, I'm of Peter. And yet others said, I'm of Christ. The Corinthian church handled badly the coming of Apollos. And the result was that the church was filled with quarrels and divisions. And yet, the Corinthian Christians were not basically wicked. Paul has a surprising amount of praise for them. According to verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 1, the Corinthians were sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means they had an intimate, vital relationship and union with Jesus. The same verse says the Corinthians were called to be God's holy people. Also in the same verse, we're told that the Corinthians called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They adored Jesus. They worshipped him faithfully. Verse 7 says the Corinthians do not lack any spiritual gift. They had in their church preachers and healers and every gift needed by the church. Verse 7 indicates that the Corinthians eagerly wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that great hope of the Christian church. Indeed, yes it is. Indeed, in verse 8, Paul promises the Corinthians, Jesus will keep you firm till the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, blameless. Paul gives the Corinthians much praise. They were devout followers of Jesus. And likewise, like Corinth, H. Bick has many strengths and many fervently committed people. This is a good church. I am confident that we will not fall into the same trouble that the Corinthians experienced. And yet Paul's message to the Corinthian church in verse 10 will be good for us as well. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The Corinthian church was still intact on the surface. No obvious split or schism. And yet, in verse 11, Paul says, there are quarrels among you. Members of the church held allegiance to different teachers. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. According to verse 12, some of the Corinthians said, I follow Paul. This group was probably the majority. Paul's work at Corinth, he had been a leader through whom God converted a number of members of the Corinthian church to Jesus. And when the leadership changed from Paul to Apollos, a following arose around Apollos. It was natural for the first group to say, I follow Paul. Paul had been their spiritual father. And yet this loyalty became destructive when it divided the church. We have been fortunate to have strong pastoral leadership here at H. Bick. Pastor Woody is a great preacher. One of the best I have set, on, set under. Amen. When Hank takes over, did you hear that? <laughs> We've been fortunate to have this strong. One of the best. Uh, when Hank takes over, it will be tempting for some to long for the interesting and humorous sermons and the sensitive pastoral care of Pastor Woody, Amen. who led some of us to Jesus and others into a deeper relationship to the Lord. It's natural that we have a strong attachment to Pastor Woody. But 
We cannot allow our past attachments to destroy our unity, a unity necessary to fulfill God's plan for the future of the Harrisburg Church. After I announced my resignation at the Fairland Church, 40 years ago, one of the members said, we're going to have a hard time replacing you. To which I responded, you are not replacing me. You are looking for the person with gifts that God can use in this church now. And that person for HBIC is Pastor Hank Johnson. Amen. Here's something very important. Here's something very important. The future of HBIC does not depend on the pastors, Woody or Hank. Pastors come and go. Even though Woody stayed around a long time. Um, this was not Pastor Woody's church. This is your church. Of course, ultimately, it's not your church either. It's Christ's church. But all churches are Christ's church. In another sense, this is your church. I trust you will recommit yourself to HBIC. Renew your membership vows, and once again see this as your church. Indeed, the future of HBIC does not rely on Pastor Woody or Pastor Hank. It relies on all of you. Some Christians at Corinth said, I follow Paul. They just couldn't quite adjust to Apollos' ministry. He was just not like Paul. Indeed, the future of HBIC... They, and they created dangerous divisions in the church at Corinth. Do not follow their lead. Others in the Corinthian church said, I follow Apollos. Apollos, who came to Corinth after Paul, was converted to Christianity under the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. Apollos was a Jew trained by the leading intellectuals of the day. The New Testament says Apollos was eloquent mighty in the scriptures, and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was normal that a man with Apollos' talents would attract a following. In fact, Paul said this, get this, Paul said this, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, that in comparison to Apollos, Paul himself was personally unimpressive, and his speaking amounted to nothing. Paul said that. Apollos was more impressive than Paul. Nevertheless, Apollos' ministry became destructive because his followers caused division. And some of us are going to be strongly attracted to the ministry of Pastor Hank. He's been eloquent like Apollos for as long as I have observed him. Words come easy for him. He's eloquent. And since he's done further seminary study, he's become mighty in the scriptures. Hank is our Apollos. Eloquent. Mighty in the scriptures, pray that he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit like Apollos. Put that on your prayer list and pray for it. But as our senior pastor, and Hank assumes his authority, he will call us to change and adjust. He may not do things the way we expect, and that may be the biggest danger in having a new pastor that is well known to us.
We assume we know what he's going to be like. We assume we know what he's like. We know what he's going to do, right? And yet he will no longer feel constrained to follow Pastor Woody's lead. Indeed, he should not. H. Bick does not need another Pastor Woody. We... I'm not going to say anything. Um, (laughs) We need Pastor Hank. So our new Pastor Hank will likely do some things that we're not used to. And that's okay. We need to grow. God has given us the person with the gifts needed at H. Bick. And it's important that we decide to work together with Pastor Hank to find God's will for our church. At a prayer meeting shortly before we left, Fairland Church, a woman in the congregation said, you know, I've come to realize that if we want our church to be stronger, we're going to have to do it ourselves. If we base our hopes on Pastor Hank, we will be disappointed. We'll be like those in Corinth who said, I follow Apollos. This guy is really great. Why couldn't Paul and Cephas been like him? Now our church is really going to grow. That attitude added to the divisions in the church at Corinth. Other members of the Corinthian church said, I follow Cephas or Peter. A group of Jewish Christians from Palestine or Syria had probably come to Corinth. These Jews boasted of their attachment to Peter. They they thought that all converts must obey the Old Testament law and be circumcised. These persons would be called the traditionalists. They wanted to return to the past. And I'm certain that there are some here this morning who would like to turn the clock back and live in the past. As we saw earlier, God has been present many times in the history of the Harrisburg Church. And it's natural to remember those times. The past has much to teach us in the present. But we cannot and we should not live in the past. It will never be like it was at H. Bick. And that's good. God has many blessings planned for the future of our church. And being preoccupied with the past will prohibit God from working in the present and the future. We look to the blessings of the past to find strength to face God's work. The work that God has for us to do right now. One of the most dangerous things a church can do is become preoccupied with the good old days. It dampens our zeal and our outreach in the present. In the past, our church leaders ministered in a way that reached the people of that age. And today, we find effective ways to minister to our age. If we do not, we die. I remember the following anecdote from from brother Paul Bingham, who was here at the Harrisburg Church longer than most everyone else, and I see his family back here. It would have been easy for him to glorify the past and feel uncomfortable with the changes that have come. I find myself feeling that way at times. As I was told one Sunday when the music was not what he would have appreciated, Brother Bigham acknowledged that but said, if this music speaks to the young people coming to our church, I'm happy. I may have gotten those words wrong. I got that third or fourth hand from somebody. But I do think that he would have said something like that. Moreover, there is a principle about the past that is very true. 
The past gets better the farther you are away from it. Right? That great philosopher Yogi Berra once said, the future ain't what it used to be. Don't think about that for very long. I thought about that, I've probably thought about that for a long time, and I still don't know what he meant. Um, I don't know what it means, but in any case, whatever it means, we must not glorify the past. And yet many in the church will resist change of any kind. Their attitude might be humorously portrayed in the slight rewording of an old song. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where we've always trod. We are all divided, many loyalties, strong on basic doctrine, weak in charity. Some of us may cling to the past and find it difficult to accept the changes that will inevitably come to our congregation with new leadership. We are like those in Corinth who said, I follow Cephas. We want to return to the teachings and practices of the past. And that attitude led to the division in Corinth. And the last group in the Corinthian Christians were those who said, I follow Christ. We might think those people were right. We should all say, I follow Christ. This is Christ's church. And yet, these Christians who claimed to follow Christ were probably a small, rigid, self-righteous group. They rejected all human teachers, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, contending that their revelation was directly from Jesus. Like the old man that said to his wife, the whole world is wrong except me and thee, and sometimes I wonder about thee. This group claimed, to be the only true Christians at Corinth. By saying I follow Christ, they were really saying not I belong to Christ, but Christ belongs to me. And that's the danger in saying that this is Christ's church. We may be, crea may be creating a church in our own image of Jesus rather than in the biblical image of Christ. Today I know people who float from church to church trying to find the preacher who preaches what they want to hear like they want to hear it. In C.S. Lewis's classic book, Screw Tape Letters, the devilish senior tempter says to Wormwood, the novice deacon, I'm sorry, the novice, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll tell you something, I'll, I'll get out of character here. Um, I actually asked my brother-in-law who's from, Southern, from North Carolina, I said, what's a demon deacon? And he said, you're not a Southern Baptist if you don't know that. <laughs> um, that's not what, <laughs> let me back up. In C.S. Lewis' classic screw tape letters, the devilish senior tempter says to Wormwood, the novice demon, surely you know that if a man cannot be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster and connoisseur of churches. A man once talked to his pastor. He expressed displeasure with a number of things happening in the congregation. He ended the stream of criticism with these words. If things don't change, we're going to take our membership to another church. The pastor calmly replied, that'll be all right. Never hurts to change the label on an empty bottle. <laughs> I don't think I'd have had the courage to say that. 
But the person who goes from one church to another to have his bottle filled will always have an empty bottle. The person who's always giving out of his bottle in service to others will tend to be satisfied whoever the pastor is. And yet some persons may be too independent-minded to accept pastoral transitions like the people in Corinth who said, I follow Christ. I know the mind of Christ and I'm going somewhere where Christ is preached correctly. Ironically, that attitude may have characterized the most divisive group at Corinth. So each of these men held the allegiance of the Corinthian Christians. And they were worthy of the Corinthian support. Paul was worthy because he led many of them to Christ. Apollos was worthy because he was eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter was worthy because his ministry among the Jews was as vital as Paul's was among the Gentiles. But the difficulty comes when we place our faith in human teachers above Christ. In the face of the divisions among the Christians, Paul appeals for unity. In verse 10, he tells them to agree with one another. He also says, no divisions. In short, they are to be perfectly united in mind and thought. That is, they are to adjust and adapt to each other, to give in to one another in the interests of harmony, and to be joined in purpose, goal, and direction. A silly fable is told about a fish, a swan, and a crab, who were talking together on a summer afternoon in the shade of a cartload of hay. The owner came by and asked for their help in moving the hay to the nearby field. Certainly, replied the swan, who's going to move it? I'll do it if you like, said the crab. It's not going to take much to do it. But the fish said, many hands make light work, so let's all help. When I read that to my wife, she said, fish don't have hands. Well, it's okay. The owner of the wagon found three ropes, tied the ropes to the wagon, and put the halters on the three willing workers. At a word for the swan, from the swan, they were all to pull together. Are you ready, asked the swan? One, two, three, pull. None of them pulled very hard because they knew it wouldn't take much effort, but the cart did not move even an inch. Pull harder, called the swan. They all pulled harder but made no headway. The brake must be on. Fish slipped out from his rope, examined the wheels. No, he said, there is no brake. That's funny. I thought we'd be able to manage this easily. Let's try again. Getting into their ropes, each pulled with all his might at the signal of the swan, but the load of hay did not move the tiniest. While they were struggling, a donkey walked along, looked at what they were doing, and laughed until his sides ached. What's going on here, he asked. This is a funny sight. The three of you pulling... What a trio. You won't move that wagon pulling like that all day. What do you mean like that? Asked the crab, looking hot and angry. You ought to see yourselves, replied the donkey. There you are pulling for all you're worth, and you're all pulling in different directions. The swan is flying forward, straining toward the sky as though he wants to pull the cart over the top of those clouds yonder. And the fish is pulling down the bank toward his deep hole in the river where he lives. And our friend, the crab, is walking sideways. And thus, as is custom, and thus is pulling in an altogether different direction. Now do you wonder why I laughed? 
if you want to move the wagon, pull together. Unity is essential for the future of HBIC. We must be joined together in Christ. There will inevitably be changes. Some will be in support of those changes and others will find them difficult. We must be alert to help each other to adjust and settle differences. In this way, we as a congregation can face the future confidently. Let's come together so that we will be perfectly united in mind and thought. Amen. May God bless you.